Jesus, we, um, again, love you. Lord, we put our eyes towards you. We put our faith towards you. Lord, we're not here to try to earn your your good graces, Lord God, but we are here just to study your word and and spend time, Lord, going through it, spend time sitting at your feet, uh, Lord, being instructed, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, if there's anything, Lord, in our hearts that would grieve your spirit, Lord, we surrender it right now, Lord. We confess, Lord God, our self-sufficiency and we we renounce it and we don't want to have any self-sufficiency, God. We want to be completely dependent upon you and your spirit, God, because Lord, we have no self-sufficiency. In truth, God, we can't change ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We can't bring about this restoration in our life that you desire to see. And so, Lord, uh, but we want to see what you're going to do. And we trust you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Tonight's study is called The Restoration of a Servant. Of a Servant. And I like it that we're doing this on a Wednesday night when a lot of my servants are here. Because uh, a servant sometimes... They run into a brick wall of saying, why am I serving? This, this coming to church early on 8 o'clock in the morning is to unload everything and load everything up is getting monotonous, you know, is getting difficult. It feels like it's a job and Pastor Sean never talks to me and these guys over here are always bugging me and why do we always have to be in the school? I mean, there's just so many things that could come into our minds here just practically. Serving the Lord can sometimes be difficult. This is from the New York Times, okay? Um, this was in an article. It says, members of the clergy, and I'm going to lump you guys in because you guys serve the Lord, right? So when you hear clergy and ministers and all that, I just want you guys to think that's me too. Because you guys are priests, right? The Lord has made you guys a kingdom of priests. He's made all of us his servants. And so that's you guys tonight as, as we're looking at this. Members of the clergy now suffer from obesity, Hypertension and depression at rates higher than most Americans. And in the last decade, their use of antidepressants has risen while their life expectancy has fallen. Many would change jobs if they could, it says. Oh, this is sad. 13%. Here's a bunch of statistics for you. Do you like statistics? I like statistics. They, I'm a nerd. What can I say? 13% of active pastors are divorced. 23% have been fired or pressured to resign at least once in their careers. 25% don't know where to turn when they have a family or personal conflict or issue. 25% of pastors' wives see their husband's work schedule as a source of conflict. 33%, the, the percentages are just getting bigger, 33% felt burnt out within the first five years of their ministry. 33% say that being in the ministry is an outright hazard to their family. Man, 40% of pastors and 47% of spouses are suffering from burnout, frantic schedules, and or unrealistic expectations. 45% of pastors' wives say the greatest danger to them and their family is physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual burnout. 45% of pastors say they've experienced depression or burnout to the extent that they needed to take a leave of absence from the ministry. 50% feel unable to meet the needs of the job. 52% of pastors say they and their spouses believe that that being in pastoral ministry is hazardous to their family's well-being and health. 56% of pastors' wives say they have no close friends. 57% would leave the pastorate if they had somewhere else to go or some other vocation which they could do. 
70% of pastors don't have any close friends. 75% report severe stress causing anguish, worry, bewilderment, anger, depression, fear, and alienation. And 80% of pastors say they have insufficient time with their spouse. 90% feel unqualified or poorly prepared for ministry, and 90% work more than 50 hours per week. And 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month due to burnout, conflict, or moral failure. Doctors, lawyers, and clergy have the most problems with drug abuse, alcoholism, and suicide. This was all from that New York Times article. So, there are a lot of people, what it sounds like to me is there's a lot of people in America trying to serve God out of their own resources, out of the flesh, and not in the power of the Spirit. And so you guys in here, I'm pointing at all of you, I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want us to get burned out. Because we're at the very beginning of this church. We're the very beginning of what God is going to do. And there's probably going to be a a whole lot of blessing ahead of us. A whole lot of of powerful things going to happen that's going to require a lot of work. There's going to be a lot of people that's going to need to be discipled. I mean, in a year, we may have this place filled. Who knows? I hope so. You know, Rob's going to tell all his friends, and that's what this whole site over here. So it's going to be great. I mean, but I, I believe, I believe God has a lot in store for us. But the reason why we are here, that God has chosen you and you and you and you and you to be here tonight is to know how to not get burned out in this, in this path that we have in front of us. That is going to be demanding. No doubt there's going to be demands. And God's going to call you to serve somewhere that may be uncomfortable. And he's going to call you to do things you didn't know you could do. And he's going to call you guys to be bold. And, oh my goodness, it's just, I'm getting stressed out almost thinking about it. Everything that's going to come upon us. But, God doesn't want ministry to be that way. Not at all. And before we even start, I'm going to tell you a little story. The priests back in the day of the Old Testament... God, God gave him very specific instructions of what kind of clothes to wear. And so they, he said their, their ephod should be not made of wool, which is what they made most clothes out of, but it should be made of, of linen or cotton so that it would breathe. And he said the reason is because he didn't want them to sweat. He didn't want the, the priest's job to cause them to sweat. And I, I, I take an application out of that that God wants to use you powerfully. It might be hard work, but he doesn't want it to cause you a stressful sweat. Does that make sense? And so we even have that picture. So as we begin tonight, we're looking at this guy named Joshua, who is the high priest, and he is about to be used by God. And last week we saw Joshua got cleaned up. He stood before Jesus, and Jesus said, you are wearing some nasty clothes. Remember that? And, and he said, you know what? Take those clothes off of him and bring him some brand new clothes and give him a new hat too. I loved that. It was an awesome study. I had a great time looking at that. And now the angel of the Lord that we know is Jesus, he's going he's gonna to teach Joshua some things. 
And he's going to teach him some very important things about how to serve him in the ministry. And in so doing, he's going to teach you and me how to serve him in the ministry. And I love it because there's a lot of prophecies about Jesus in here. There's some crazy stuff that we're going to see. So let's get into it. Verse 6 of chapter 3 is where we start. And so the angel of the Lord, which we've already looked at, is Jesus. He admonished Joshua, saying... Well, let's stop right there. The angel of the Lord, it says in, uh, in, the, in the New Living Translation, he spoke very solemnly to Joshua. You know, sometimes we feel like we're just too far away or that we've, we just have to live like this in the place that we're at. We feel dead and disappointed. You know, sometimes we, we lose hope. Sometimes we don't see how anything can really change. And I believe it's at that time that Jesus grabs us by our face. And he does what he does to Joshua here. He admonishes him. He, he solemnly swears. He grabs him by the face. He makes us look him in the eyes. And he promises, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to restore this. I'm going to restore you as a person. You know, you think you're coming in as this dirty person. How could you ever serve the Lord? But look, I've made you clean. Oh, but I'm still, my heart is like, I don't know how I could ever really be used by God as like a pastor or evangelist or whatever. Those crazy people that are out there and they just give everything for the Lord. I don't know if I can ever do that. And Jesus just grabs you by the cheeks and he says, listen, I'm going to restore you. I am going to do the work. And I feel like he's doing this right here to Joshua. He's saying, I'm, he's grabbing him and he's saying, this is really important, Joshua. You've got to understand this. I'm going to do it. I will save you. No matter what you do, I'm going to save you. You can't get away from me. It's totally dependent on his actions and not ours, as long as we believe in him. Yet we're going to see here that there's these little things called consequences and I hate them you guys hate consequences that's like a bad word right boys do you like consequences consequences are bad news right exactly and when I sin there are bad things that happen and are they God's fault are they God's fault no they're not they are mine and mine alone and sometimes God gives me mercy and and forgives me and actually I don't even have to feel the consequences sometimes. And other times, he lets me experience my consequences so that I can learn to trust him and obey. Not to obey to avoid the consequences, but to trust him and obey because I'm trusting him. It's about the relationship and not the the list of rules of what to do and not to do. You know, a pig ate his fill of acorns under an oak tree. And then he started to root around around the tree. And the, and the crow remarked, you should not do this. If you lay bare the roots, the tree will wither and die. Let it die, said the pig. Who cares as long as there are acorns? He didn't care about his consequences. And he's going to have consequences for that. And so is the crow, actually. God's job is not to keep us from feeling all the consequences of our sin. He warns us of the consequences, and then he also uses those same consequences to produce character in our lives. You're going to understand why I'm talking about consequences in just a minute. But Reliant K, 
is like one of my favorite bands. Okay, you like Reliant K? They rock. All right. They have a fam- they have this famous song called Consequences, and uh, the tagline is, "I so hate consequences, and running from you is what my best defense is." I love that line because it's so true in my life. It's like I I, I don't want to have the consequences of the sin I just did and I feel the shame and I feel bummed out about it and so I run away from God. And then the the bridge is so powerful in this song because it says, when I got tired of running from you, I stopped right there to catch my breath and your words, they caught my ears. You said, I miss you, son, come home. And my sins, they watched me leave and in my heart, I so believed the love you felt for me was more, was more than the love I'd wished for all this time. And when the doors were closed, I heard, no, I told you so's. I said the words I knew you knew. Oh, God, oh, God, I needed you. God, all this time, I needed you. I needed you. So, that song is like my favorite. It makes me want to cry every time I, I hear it because it's so good. Why do we run from the one who can heal us, who can restore us, who can make all things new? Jesus lays this out for Joshua right here. He says in verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts. He grabs him by the face and he says, This is what God says. If you will walk in my ways and if You will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house and likewise have charge over my courts. And I will give you places to walk among all those who stand here. Joshua, you've been made clean, Jesus says. You are saved and you're standing right here before me, yet I have bigger plans for you. I want to use you as a priest to serve me, to serve my people. But... For these great things to happen, you need to walk in my ways. This reminds me of how God spoke to another Joshua. Do you guys remember the the more famous Joshua in the book of Joshua? (laughs) A lot of Joshua's. But you remember he said to him, you need to be strong and very courageous and that you may observe and do all all do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may prosper wherever you go, he told the other Joshua. Which is very similar to what he says to this Joshua. So how does God want to use you? Well, are you saved? Sure, you guys know the Lord, you're saved. But he desires for your life to be full of the deep things of God. He wants to use you now more in loving him and loving others in his name. Look at the descriptions of the service that he describes for Joshua right here. He says, my house, my courts, and those who stand here. I notice those three things because we serve God. What he's calling us to is to serve him by caring for his house or his family. His courts, which is like his, his inner court, his, his very presence himself, and those who stand here, all his people. So his family, himself, and all his people, that's the way that we serve God, is we care for and love those groups. That's crazy. That's cool. But we need to stay away from sin 
so that God can really use you. You know, it can be, it can be easy to say, I'm just having a little me time. You know, this is just a little six-month trip to Australia. little me time. That's great, but God could have used you during all that time. And he wants, he wants to use you, but he can't use you if you're not available. Sin and selfishness make you unavailable. That's why he tells Joshua here, just walk in my ways. That's why he told the other one, Joshua, don't turn to the right hand or turn to the left hand. Just be strong and courageous and follow me because I want to use you. You know, so you guys come to church. You know, you could, not just to study the Bible, but to love and serve God's family that gathers here. You know, that's why we come to church. You know, you start by just coming just to hear. And then once you, you then you start learning the Bible and then God takes you to a place where you start serving, serving his, his family, serving his little kids, serving the people here. And you guys are the ones that are serving. I mean, I look around and I see servants. I see people who want to, to be used by God like, like Joshua is going to be used here. And look also, God promised Joshua access, privileged access to the presence of God. And this isn't, surpri- this isn't surprising for a high priest in, back in Israel, but what about for you? Did you know that you've been promised the exact same thing? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Let us come, therefore, boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, we've been promised that exact same access as Joshua was given here. And it's very applicable to us. So, now we get to a, a prophecy about Jesus. It's like a crazy vision. Well, it seems crazy at the beginning, but it actually turns out to be very familiar by the time we get to the end of it. So let's take a look here. Verse 3, or sorry, verse 8 of chapter 3. It says, Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of the land in that one day. And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, the first time you read that, You're like, what is God talking about? A branch and a rock with seven eyeballs? This is crazy. I don't understand. So, but let's take a look because God is not, he does not waste ink in the Bible. This is very, actually awesome what we find out here about this. So let's look at that first part. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you. He's saying, those of you who desire to know me and to serve me, this is how it gets done. You know, Jed, you want to serve the Lord? This is how it gets done, what we just read. What? That's weird. You know, Norm, you have a desire to be used by God? This chapter is so important for you. This is how it gets done. He says, Jesus says, hear me, Joshua. 
And in fact, all you guys who are with Joshua, all you companions, it's so important to understand for a believer that the role of Jesus in those who want to follow and serve God. You've got to understand his role. Do you desire to serve God? Of course you do. This is how it gets done. He says, for they are a wondrous sign. What's that? What is that little part about? Well, the Jewish people and true believers today, you guys who are serving God with all your heart and you're so excited about it, you guys are a wondrous sign. You blow the minds of those who consider you. You, those who watch you from afar, you blow their minds. And these people who were coming back to Israel at this time, when they were coming out of Babylon, where they had it okay, they were rich in Babylon. They had money, they had houses, they had homes, but yet they felt God, they knew God was calling them back to this land that was trashed. It was a dump. And they called back, and the world was just like, what is going on with these people? Why would they choose to do that? Why would they follow some God who's telling them to go to a dump? This is crazy. And so they, it was, they were a wondrous sign. You know, we've studied how it's just a miracle that the Jewish people even exist. It's probably a miracle that some of you exist. With all the drugs that were done in this room. Who, who knows? I mean, I don't know what kind of miracles the Lord has done in this room just to make you guys exist. And then God lavishly blesses us we are obviously favored by God. It's crazy. And sometimes it causes the world to wonder, and sometimes it causes them to be jealous of us, saying, you don't deserve so much blessing. You don't do, you don't, you're not involved in like some high church with like, like gold underwear and stuff. You're just, you go to this normal church. You go to this church that just, they have like just a few people, and they just sit there and read the Bible. And what is so great about you that you have such joy in your heart? Wow, it's your golden underwear. That's right. <laughs> so he says, you guys, all of you, Joshua, listen to me. This is how it gets done. All you companions, listen to me. This is how it gets done. My servant, behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. You want to serve me? Look at my servant. You want to serve me? Observe how my servant serves me. How does he serve me? He's a branch. What? That, that's kind of weird. What does that mean? Jesus, it's talking about Jesus. He's the branch. That's his name. It's his title, the branch here. Well, this is actually a common name for the Messiah in the Old Testament. Four other places, God calls Jesus the branch. I'm going to read them to you, okay? Just so you know, I'm not joking with you. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that have escaped Israel. And Isaiah chapter 11. And there shall come forth from a, from a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And these, these are capitalized bees in the branch, so the, the translators know that it is, it is speaking of the Messiah, it's speaking of God. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And in Jeremiah 33, 15, he says, 
in those days and at that time, I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. So why does he use the term a branch for Jesus? A branch speaks of fruitfulness and life. Fruitfulness and life. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. This is going to blow your mind. It blows my mind. Look with me in John chapter 15. Something that's so familiar to us, yet I don't know if we knew where the root of this was. You know, Jesus never makes a mistake. He, he, he's, he is always the same. And he's so smart and, and he's such a good teacher for us. And so look what happens in John chapter 15. And this is such a vital truth for you if you want to serve God. Is you've got to know Jesus as the branch. You've got to believe he's the branch. What does that mean? What does that mean? Look at this. He says in verse, verse 1 of chapter 15, I am the true vine. What is... Okay. And my father is the vine dresser. What is a vine? It's basically a big branch that grows out of the ground. Right? It's one branch that grows out of the ground. And he says his father is the vine dresser. Vine dresser. So he's saying right here, all those times you heard me called the branch in the Old Testament, he says, man, this is what it is. I'm the vine. Now skip with me down to verse 4. This is where the lesson really starts to kick in. He says, abide in me and I in you. As as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine or the branch and you are like the little branches, the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Is serving God about how smart you are? I hope not. We would not win the prize for the smartest church. I don't think. Maybe some of you are brilliant, and I just haven't seen it yet, but (laughs) I know I'm not. It's serving God about how talented you are. You know, are we hoping that this church grows because I'm a talented teacher? I hope not. I never want our church to be about my talent. I want people to say, I want to go to White Flag because they're filled with the Spirit. And you know what? They just love Jesus so much and all they do is talk about Jesus. It's like they're just a branch connected to him. That's what I want. And the same with you guys. If you want to be used by God, if you want to be a servant of God, look at his servant. What is he? He says, I'm a branch. What are you supposed to be? A branch. Be a branch like the branch that's the branch on the branch. That's why he said branch all this time. (laughs) It's just how it works. Is serving God about a program that we can adopt Oh, if we just do this 40 days of this, or if we do this 20 days of that, or 10 steps here to this, and is it about any of those things? No. 
or a belief system. You know, we really got it right at this church because we're a... And we believe in their... Is that what it's about? No, it's not. The answer to each of those questions is no, serving God is about abiding in Christ. Hanging out with the branch. Remaining with him all day. Well, that doesn't sound too hard, you say. I think I could actually do that. You're right. You can do that. Anyone can do that. My boys can do that. The most simple-minded person can abide with Christ. That's why it works. Because it's about abiding with him. Now look at the next verse here. He says, For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon this stone are seven eyes. <laughs> what is this about? He just, okay, I just got that one first picture and God just didn't waste any time before he just totally changes it from a branch to a stone. And not just a normal stone, but a stone with seven eyeballs. Just blows my mind. But yet this is another picture of Jesus. And it's another picture of serving Jesus. It's another lesson for us of how to serve Jesus. How could the people not recognize Jesus when he came and he had all these... Um, he, he actually fulfills all these signs. You know, they had the book of, of, of Zechariah when Jesus came. They could have turned and said, wait a minute, are you the branch? And he said, hmm, I am the vine. And they could have connected it in their mind and said, wait a second, that's the same thing. And then and the next part is, wait, a stone, a stone. Wait, are you a stone? And let's see what he says about this. But they... Uh, they had all this information. They had this book of Zechariah when he came. So why didn't they see these signs? Why couldn't they see it? And the answer is hard hearts. Why can't my neighbor see? Why was I dense for so long? It was a hard heart. So how do you soften a hard heart? You pray and read the Bible. Just That one's free. You can keep that one. So, of course, we see... This picture and many, many other times of Jesus in the Bible, uh, you remember Psalm 118, verse 22, I'll read it to you. It says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So when they were building the temple, the first thing they would do is get a cornerstone. And I've been to Israel and I've seen the cornerstone of the, of the wall around the temple there. And it's, it's so huge. It's like from here to the, to the back wall wide and like 20 feet high and like huge wide it's like the size of this whole section of pews right here just a big rock and they moved it there and they they put it there and what would happen is that as they were building if the builders rejected it they would say ah it's not it's not straight enough or it's not square enough or whatever they'd reject it and they'd go dump it off the hill and they couldn't use it anymore and that's what it's saying here is is the um the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Well, that's speaking of Jesus. Because when Jesus came saying, I'm the Messiah, the Jews said, no, you're not. And they rejected him. But yet he has become the chief cornerstone because he is the cornerstone. Some uh, other o Old Testament scriptures, one is in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 and 15, and he says, he will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
to both the houses of Israel and as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and they shall fall and be broken, but be snared and taken. And then in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and whoever believes in him will not act hastily. So we, that was the Old Testament. So then we move to the New Testament. And we see Jesus himself talks about it. In the book of Matthew, verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? You guys just read that. So now you could have said, yeah, Jesus, I read that. Pastor Sean just read it to me. (laughs) So now you can say that. Uh, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Verse 43, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. No, uh, or basically people who know how to serve me. And whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So Jesus teaches us what, thou, what those verses meant in the Old Testament. It's your choice, he says. You either fall on him in humility and brokenness, or you'll be fighting against him and it will fall on you and blammo, you're done. Basically is what he's saying. You can't, you either follow him in humility or you can't follow him at all. And now take that back to the first New York Times stuff that we read. How many pastors, how many servants of God are, are, having, are being ground to powder spiritually in their hearts? Why? Because they didn't learn this lesson from Zechariah. They didn't learn the lesson from John chapter 15. They're not following Jesus as the branch. They're not just abiding in him. They're trying to work for him. And they're not learning the lesson from Zechariah about him being a stone. Because what's this, what's this all talking about? All these guys were looking for something else that satisfied them besides Jesus. They were all looking for something else. That was, that's what it's all about. Maybe if I have a bigger church... That'll make me a better pastor. Maybe if I study more, that'll make me a better pastor. Maybe if I, if I, and the list goes on and on. If they don't just believe that Jesus, if they don't humbly fall upon Jesus in brokenness, they won't get it. Now our buddy Peter, he taught us about this also. He did a great job in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, in chapter 2, verse 8, verse 4, he says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. Where is he pulling this out of? He's pulling this out of those Old Testament scriptures, right? But Peter's a great pastor and he's teaching us what it means. And he says, this, this stone was rejected by men, but is chosen by God. And it's not just a rock, it's a living stone. And verse 5, and you also as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, it is also contained in scripture, he says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and those who believe on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, you who believe, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled, being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. So the question is, that was all Peter's explanation of this. And the question is, how are we built up a spiritual house? How do we become this holy priesthood? How do we be like Joshua in, in, in Zechariah chapter 3 to become a, a, a high priest ministering to God's people, serving God? You guys are the, the leaders of this church. You guys are the, the servants here. How do we get built up to do that? How do we get prepared to do that? How do we offer up spiritual sacrifices? What were the first three words that Peter said? Coming to him. Coming to him is how it gets done. Just coming to him. Not working out and getting stronger. Not getting smarter. Not getting the right theology not anything except just coming to him. That's what it's all about. Just coming to him. Following Jesus and serving Jesus is actually really simple. You hang out with him, and then you hang out with his people. And that's it. You hang out with him, and in that process, you become a loving person who cares about the needs of others and you care about the plights of their life and you you want to pray for them, you want to help them. And Jesus does that in you. You don't try to become a servant. You observe the servant. What did did he say to, to tell Joshua? He said, observe my servant, the branch. Just watch him. Peter said, just come to him. Coming to him. That's all that's required of you. Come, observe, watch Jesus, interact with him, and you'll see it. So then he says, this stone, back in Zechariah chapter 3, has seven eyeballs. Which I just think is so bizarre. But again, this isn't the first time we see this in the Bible. Eyes speak of vision in the Bible, or intelligence, being able to discern something. Seven is the number of perfection. So, this would speak of perfect vision or knowledge or understanding that he understands what's going on. Look at, or I'll read to you Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. It says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the whole earth. So it speaks of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So we have God the Father talking in Zechariah 3. We have the Son being seen there. And then we have the seven eyes which speak of the Spirit, which is the Trinity seen in Zechariah chapter 3, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, So these seven eyes which speak of the Holy Spirit. And if you're curious and you want to do your own study on this, you look up Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and it'll show you what those seven workings of the Holy Spirit are. 
It's a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and discernment. And it's, you can go do your own study on that. And then he says here, this is where it gets really interesting. He says, behold, I will engrave its inscription. So on this stone, God is going to engrave something. What does that mean? says the Lord of hosts. Well, this reminds me of a verse in Isaiah chapter 49, which just melts my heart because it says, Isaiah 49, 16, he, Jesus is talking, he says, see, I have inscribed you or engraved you on the palms of my hands. Jesus says that, the Messiah says that. And God says, I'm going to engrave something on this. And that's what I think he's talking about. What is he going to engrave? You. And what is Jesus talking about when he says, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands? Where did the nails get put in Jesus? In the palms of his hands. You know, and, and it's not, you know, when you engrave something, you're using a spike to, to engrave it, right? Back in the day, that's what they would use. And so Jesus said, here, put it right here. Engrave them in the palms of my hands. And that just shows his love for us. You know, the last part of serving Jesus, if you really want to serve Jesus, you've got to understand how much he loves you. It is so far beyond comprehension that he would engrave it in his hands. That we are engraved on this stone. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then he says, I will remove the iniquity of of the land in that one day. What day is this? Well, it's the day that Jesus died. And I had prepared to go through all of Daniel chapter 9 and the 70 weeks prophecy, which explains to us how we knew the exact day that Jesus would die. Uh, they knew that if the Jews had been watching, they would have known the Messiah would roll on in to, uh, to them after 185,880 days from the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem from Artaxerxes, but they didn't know that. They weren't watching. And so his day came, the day that he's talking about when he took away their sin. And I'll just uh, uh, briefly say, it's, it's amazing how much God talks about this day beforehand. And then we look back to the day and we can see everything. We, we have a lot of description of the day. We look back on it. But they had a ton of information about this day beforehand. And Daniel chapter 9 is a huge part of that. We don't have time to look at that today. But if you're in your own study, if you want to go check it out, it's Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And also verse, uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, you could just see so much about how the Lord felt on that day. I just think it's cool. So the last verse we, we have today is in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 10. And it says, In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. So now he skips forward a couple thousand years after the day that he takes away sin, which these prophets often do, we've seen. And he skips ahead to the time of the millennium. And it's funny, at the end of all this uh, work by Jesus, uh, or the end of all this restoration and the end of every, this whole story here is that the, 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 the final scene is we're drinking juice with Jesus in the shade. And I like that. It sounds like a good day to me. Remember that he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again 
until the kingdom comes. And that's what he's talking about here. So we end with just saying, come Lord Jesus. Because that, that day, when we're all going to be drinking together, juice, probably, under, under each everyone's vine and fig tree, and it's just going to be awesome, and we'll be with Jesus doing it. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. So that is this vision that we're seeing next week. We're going to get an even crazier vision. Are you ready? And hopefully the Lord speaks to us and shows us so many things. But after all, after seeing all this, and again, you guys being servants in our church, remember these lessons. Remember, if you start to feel burned out, it, come back to Jesus. Just start looking at Jesus. Just start spending time with Jesus. That's what it's all about. And if you start to feel burned out, just repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I haven't been serving you as the branch. and as the, I've been forgetting about the branch. I've been forgetting about the stone. I've been forgetting about these things. And I just want to be with you. I just want to serve you the right way. So help me be like Joshua and remember the branch and remember the stone, okay? All right, Jesus, we thank you so much for this time. Our, our evening tonight and, uh, Lord, our time in Zechariah chapter 3. And, and Lord, we thank you uh, so much for being a God that doesn't require hard work out of us. But, God, you just are, are bringing rest into our lives. And you are always there saying, whoever is heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. And, Lord, we accept that. We believe that, Lord. We will not try to uh, figure things out on our own or do things Lord, in our own efforts, out of the flesh. We don't want to be those people that are really struggling in ministry. We want to be thriving. We want to be a branch that is producing fruit, Lord God. And we want to do this in your name. Amen.